So 1 Peter chapter 4, page 1220, reading from verse 1. This is God's Word. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We trust that God will bless his words to us. As we come to God's word, let us open it in 1 Peter chapter 4. As we study on this uh, passage this evening, 1 Peter chapter 4 and the first 11 verses this evening. Now, as we come to this passage, our title for this evening's sermon is this, The Master's Plan the master's plan. And Nigel has been working through the book of Revelation and looking at different churches. And again here this evening, this is a message to the church, a message for the church in modern day Turkey and a message for us here this evening, the master's plan. The master's plan for the church is simply this, holiness. The master's plan for us as a church is holiness. And as we think about this subject of holiness this evening, by way of working our way into this subject, if I was to ask you this evening, what is the most popular secular song to be played at a funeral? I wonder what you would reply to me. Well, the most popular secular song to be played at a funeral, it's not Eric Idle's Always Look on the Bright Side of Life, if that came to mind, uh, and it's not Queen, or it's not Robbie, Ange- Robbie Williams with Angels, but it's Frank Sinatra's I Did It My Way the most popular secular song to be played at a funeral. And why is that? Why is Frank Sinatra's song, I Did It My Way, the most popular? Well, it's a song all about how good I am. It's a song about how strong I am, how proud I am of doing the things my way. And that's the way that society thinks. It's all about us. It's all about the way I want to do things. The way I think and the way I think and the way I act is the best way. And the line in the song says, I will say it clear, I did it my way. 
And for us in the church, often we think, that's okay. For everybody out there, we can roll our eyes or tut and point the finger and pl- place judgment upon those in the world. And yet often that song is a reflection of us as well. It has filtered its way into our thinking. And often we do not consider the master's plan. Instead, we think and say to ourselves, it's my way. Even here in the church, it's better if we do things my way. I know what's best. And rarely, if ever, do the words, not my will, but yours, Father, be done. And instead, it's all about ourselves. Now, the context here for First Peter, what's happening, Peter has drawn his letter towards an end. It's coming towards a conclusion. And having engaged with the, the believers here in the verses previous, we see that he's talking to them about Christ, the great benefit that there is to be in Christ. Verse three, or chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. So here Peter has already dealt with the believer's justification, okay? They're standing in front of the Lord Jesus Christ as dealt with, and as he works into this part of the letter, he's going to start to talk about sin. And as he talks about sin, he's telling them, look, you're justified, your soul is safe with Christ, but as we start to talk about sanctification and about sin, we must realize the importance of holiness. Why does he do it like that? He doesn't want to cast doubt over anybody's calling, over anybody, uh, anybody's testimony, but instead he wants to tell them that in Christ they are safe, they are secure, that Christ has died for the unrighteous, and then he talks about our sanctification. And as Peter does this, he's got two tracks that are running side by side. Firstly, the church is supposed to live in the end days. He wants them to have this in mind that they're living in the end days. He brings it out in verse five of our passage in chapter four, and he brings it out in verse seven as well. And this is a theme that has run right the way throughout his letter. In chapter one and verse four, we remember them words, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. And then in chapter one and verse 23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. So we can see that he's trying to, to help the church plot themselves in redemptive history. Christ has ascended, and we are living in the end days. And he wants them to keep that in focus. And then secondly, he runs this other theme alongside that this world is not our home. In chapter 1, verse 1, they are elect exiles. And in chapter 2, verse 11, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. And here then in chapter 4, he brings both of these themes together as he works in on the church and telling them that they must pursue holiness, that they must have the master's plan at the forefront of their minds. So holiness, what does John Stott say about holiness? He says this, what is holiness except Christ-likeness? Holiness this evening, what is it? It is being like Christ. So the master's plan then in our passage is broken into two. There's the external and the internal. The external being, how do we live in the world? How are we holy as we scatter from here and we go out into the world? How do we live as holy lives? How do we live holiness? And then internally as a church, how do we live holy lives in this place? So let us deal with the first one first. Following Christ and our desires, if we follow Christ, our desires are changed, verses one to six. Well, there are a few things in life that are more noticeable than whenever someone starts to fall in love. 
And if you have been a son or a daughter, which we all have been, we know this, don't we? Our actions start to change. You can see it if you're a parent, how someone changes, their actions begin to change. That first date, if you're a fellow, perhaps you've been out working at the car and you've washed it and cleaned it to within a millimeter of the paint rubbing off and you have it hoovered, it's sitting perfectly spotless. And then you come inside and you start to clean yourself. You go to the bathroom for an extra long period of time and you come out and you could choke someone with the amount of aftershave that we have on and there's not a hair out of place. And your parents can very quickly see that our actions are starting to change. And instead of spending time with the fellas come the weekend, you're going on long romantic walks and perhaps you're having to go to Belfast, to Victoria Square to sit around the shops and sit in a little summer seat while you're waiting on your other half coming out. Our, our patterns of life start to change. There's a massive change of character. And we see that as well whenever they come home, the other half comes home to meet the parents. Perhaps that son that we could never get to tidy the house has been running around all day, dusting every little place, making sure the house is spotless, everything's perfect. What's the point? There's a real change of character. Whenever, whenever this young man's heart has been wooed, he changes his actions accordingly. And what Peter is talking about here, he's talking about the church and he's talking as the bride of Christ and Christ as the bridegroom. That he has come, that he's laid down his life, that he has suffered. The Son of God has come from heaven to earth, that he's lived and died the death that we deserve so that we might live. That's why he frames this in terms of our justification. He tells us that we're secure. And then in our passage, as we arrive into verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, therefore, arm yourselves with this knowledge. In the midst of your sufferings, realize this helps you rely on God and not the sin anymore. You see, Peter's telling the church that in their sufferings that they must see Christ, see what he has done, and arm themselves with it. And into verse two, what does he tell them? As a result, do not live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather the will of God. Christian tonight, for us, this is our motto. We can't just take this or leave it. Christ has come, the bridegroom has come, so as to woo us, his bride, the church. Why? So to change our desires, to transform our affections, to live to God's will. Just like that young fellow, we see a transformation. So too, as a church, we should be transformed. What is God's will? What does it talk about there in chapter 4 and verse 2, that we would live for the will of God. Well, we see it in a few verses previous in the chapter 2 and verses 11 to 12. God's will is this, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. So as we scatter from this place, as we go out from here each week, we are called to go out and to live holy lives as people who have their desires and their affections changed for the Lord. So that people can see that change in our hearts. And Peter here fleshes it out for them. He starts to talk about the sin. And he encourages them and strongly encourages them to leave human passions behind. We see it here in verse 3. Peter tells them, enough. Be done, it is over. He says to them, church, you've already spent long enough in doing what the world does. Enough is enough. He's calling them to holiness. 
to be sanctified, to leave the things of this world behind, to change their actions and their desires. And it's true that for us as a body of believers, as we scatter, that holiness should be a mark of who we are. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, if you do not desire to be holy, I do not see that you have any right to think that you are a Christian. That's how serious our holiness is. If you do not desire to be holy, I do not see that you have any right to think that you're a Christian. And yet in our churches, we tolerate sin, don't we? We gloss over sin, we turn a blind eye to sin. Both individually and as a church family, we often look over it. We tolerate it, why? Because it's easier that way. It's easier to do what we want rather than what God wants. And it's easier to just look past sin than to deal with it. And what do we see as a result of that? Well, the result is that we live lives as if it's an ongoing party, that we're just here to have a good time. We can do whatever we want. And if we're not taking part in that party, we are present looking on at it. And Peter knows that this is true for the church here in this context and for us. And he comes and he says the hard things. He says, look, it's time to clean up the house. You've been justified by God's grace. He has sent a son to save you. Now it's time to clean up your life. It's time to, time to sacrifice the sin that you love and to walk in holiness. And yes, I will help you. I'll help you as you read my word. I'll help you as you grow in your relationship with me. I'll help you through the power of the Holy Spirit. But there is an individual responsibility as well. So what does he call the church out on? He says that they can no longer live in sexual sin. They can no longer let lust dictate their actions. No longer must they be drunk or take part in orgies or drinking parties. No longer will they have idols. You see, Peter here attacks straight on the things that often we don't want to talk about. Straight on, he goes after this church and after their sexual sin. He tells them that they're not to live a sensual lifestyle any longer. Why? Because they've no self-control, they've no self-discipline, and they're feeding the desires of the flesh. And this is a church that is under persecution. This is a church that's really struggling in society. You think that they would have buttoned down the hatches, so to speak, they would have closed ranks, that they would be holy, yet Peter calls them out in this. And for us in our age, it looks a little different. We don't have to physically go after some of these sins, but instead we can look at them on our phones and on our televisions and our laptop screens. Peter says it's time to wake up and to call out sin for what it is and to stop it and to repent of it. And this is hard for us. Sin is hard, but he calls us to holiness. And why is sin hard to deal with? Because we love it. I was at a boxing match a few months ago. I sat down uh, in the, the middle of Windsor Park. And this man sat in beside me. There was a, a thin man and then a, a wee stocky man sat in beside us. <clears throat> and we got talking. And you never know who you're up beside these things. So you try to give little away. Where are you from? Armagh. As general as possible. And we started talking. And the next thing this man turned to me and he says, are you a Christian? And I had given nothing away. And uh, I says, oh, um, Yes. And he started to tell me his testimony. He'd been saved. He was from Lurgan. And he got saved by God's grace. And he, he started to open up. And he said to me, look, I'd been addicted to drugs 
And I said to him, that must have been really hard for you. And he says, it, it was, yes. And I says, it must have got a real grip on you. And he says, no, it didn't get a real grip on me. He said, I just loved it. I loved it. So often we would like to say, oh, sin got a grip of me. But if we're honest, we love it. So young man this evening, what sin have you indulged in? And young woman, what secret sin have you hid? Older man, what have you replaced with God's will in your life? And older woman, what idol has taken your attention off Christ? Brothers and sisters tonight, as a, as a church, we want to say enough to sin. We do not want to tolerate it any longer. We want to respond to God's call to rise up men and women of God and have done with the lesser things of this world. Why? Because Christ has died for us. That's Peter's argument. Christ has died for you so that you may live to serve him. He's called you out of darkness and brought you from death into life and into light. He's given us a new identity. He's come here to woo us. We are his bride. And like that relationship that starts out earlier that we started to talk about, that starts out with all the things that are exciting, the change of character, the change of desires. Often we as a church and as believers, we, we, we get used to that, don't we? Like that other half that we, that we used to love with all our desire, with all our passion, and we get used to them and we start to take them for granted and we go back to old habits and we don't treat them the way that they deserve. So too it is with Christ. The hymn writer puts it like this. May I never lose the wonder, the wonder of the cross. May I see it like the first time, standing as a sinner lost. And that's our prayer, isn't it? As a church family, as we deal with sin, that we may never, ever lose the wonder of the cross. That as we hear of Christ and as we read of Christ, that will never lose its wonder, that it will warm our hearts again and again and again as we see what he's done for us. So we remember this evening with fondness our first love in Jesus Christ. Let us remember what he has done for us and let us see it again, the wonder of the Son of God who came to take our sin, to give us the right that we may be called children of God. Well, as Peter tells the church that they have to be sanctified he then helps them because he's real and he knows what's going to happen. Verse 4, he tells them, they think it is strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of disposition and they heap abuse on you. He's telling them, look, the world is going to expect you to go into this. The world is going to expect you to follow after the desires of the flesh. The world is going to expect you to take part in this sin and they think it's strange that you don't, that you don't go after it. But verse five comes, look at it. But they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and to judge the dead. See, the world are surprised, but he says, don't worry about it. They will abuse you, they will poke fun, they will turn against you, but this is God's plan. God's plan is that as we scatter and live holy lives, that the world will see it, that the world will see our Lord Jesus Christ and that they will glorify him, that they'll want to see him, they'll want to know more of him and that they'll come to know him themselves as Lord and Savior. So we don't let that stop us. We don't let the world stop us and their opinion of us stop us. But we are distinctly different. 
And then he goes on to tell, why was the gospel preached? He goes on to explain this. The reason for this, the gospel was preached, verse six, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. What is he saying? He's not saying that people are going around here and preaching to graves. That's not what is happening. But what is happening is that, look, the gospel was preached to everyone. But sin has its effect. Like sin comes and has its effect on everyone. And there are those who have heard the gospel who have now died and they've been judged. That's the judgment of sin on their bodies. But we pray that they would have responded in this life before they were called out into death and live according to God in the spirit. He's telling us this, that all of us one day will pass from this world that if we have responded to the good news of the gospel, then we will be alive with Christ forevermore. But that the fact of sin will take its part on our bodies and will call us out into eternity. So the master's plan for us as we go out, as we are externally in the world, is to live holy lives, to be done with sin, and to live for the will of our God in the world. Live holy lives. Live holy lives that point the world to Jesus Christ. And this is what it means to be a disciple. This is what it means to go and to do evangelism. Our holiness. So that people will be attracted to our Father and see Jesus Christ in us. And secondly, and lastly, verses 7 through to 11, the Master's plan internally, well, it's simply this. To follow Christ means that we serve. To follow Christ means that we will serve Him. I'm sure all of us at some point or another have went to buy a car. And as we go to buy a car, many of us here, and myself included, know very little about a car. So what do we do? We go and inspect it, and we walk around the car. We check that there's no scrapes on it, as if a little scrape will have a big lasting impact upon the actual workings of it. And we look around it, and we think that it's okay. And then we come to the tires, and maybe we kick the tire, as if someone's going to sell us a car with four flat tires on it. And we think, good job, the tires are pumped up, the bare minimum. And maybe the, the, the person selling it will say, do you want to look under the bonnet? And you think to yourself, yeah, sure, I'll look under the bonnet. And as long as there's some sort of gathering of metal there, we think to ourselves, good job. That's a good job. There's something there. And then we actually get to drive the car. Now, all these external things that we think that we know something about, the scratches and the tires, and as long as there's something there. But what is the key thing? The key thing is the engine. The engine has to work. I bought a car, and I did that exact thing and the car blew up on me twice, okay? So I had to put an engine in it twice. The key thing is that the engine works. And here Peter says, the key thing is that internally, internally that we are working well, that there's a holiness here in this place. Because if we go out into the world and we just look good on the outside, that might pass for a little while, just like a car. But what about whenever we look at the internal workings? If the car's engine is no good, it will blow up. It will not work. And if internally as a church we are not holy, if we are not serving the Lord Jesus Christ and serving each other, then people will soon see that we do not serve Jesus Christ the way that we ought. So he tells them the importance. Look, verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Peter's making sure that the believers are not just looking on the outside that they're looking good in the world, but that inside that they are holy. And he gives them a list. Be self-controlled. Be sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. Then he tells us to keep loving. Why? Because this covers sin. 
in a family and growing up in families, we know that there are some people that perhaps do things against us in the family, but because they're family, we have to forgive them. We love them, and that covers their sin, and soon after it, we forget. So too in the church, yet we're really bad at that. We hold grudges all the time. Here he says, let love cover these, and then show hospitality. What does he mean? Eat with one another. Invite others to be part of this. Have folks from the church around your house. Eat with your neighbor. Gather them in so that they can see the love of Jesus in you. Be hospitable to each other. And don't grumble about it. Such and such is coming around today. I'm going to have to put on a pot of soup for them. Ah, oh, really wish they weren't coming around. Don't really like them. Don't grumble about it. Love one another and be hospitable. Be holy internally. And the key is this in verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as stewards of God's very grace. It's really simple. Everything about us, God has given to us. Everything about our personalities. Everything that we own is a gift from God. So if we're a Christian, if we're part of this church family, you've got to serve. You have to serve. That's what he's saying to this church. Look, there's no one that's going to be part of this church that is not serving. You've got to serve one another, each serving as God has given it to them. Why? So that, they may, so that God may get all the glory and not them. So this evening, if you're a part of this church, if you're a part of our, our assembly here, and you have technical, technical ability, use it to serve. If you have a few hours a week and you love children, help out at one of our organizations. If you can lift some litter, which most of us can, speak to Barbara and the community team. If you have some extra money, use it to bless this church. And if you have the ability to play or to sing, offer your services to the praise group, I'm sure they would love that. And if you're an encouraging person, then encourage someone. Whatever your gift is, all of us, all of us here have been given gifts by the Lord. Use it to serve one another. So whenever someone comes into this place, they see that God may be glorified. That we are a church that is characterized by love, hospitality, and by service. This is God's plan for us. This is the master's plan. And this evening there is no plan B. God doesn't have another plan. His plan A is the church, and that's it. So how do we respond to his word? He's told us that we've been saved by his grace. And now Peter works into this that we've got to kill sin. We've got to deal with sin head on, no longer putting our heads down, but to deal with it so we may be sanctified and live to serve him here in this place, encouraging one another, loving one another, being hospitable to one another, and using our gifts to serve, pulling together in this place as a true family, as a true team, so tonight in the world, we are called to be holy, and as a church, we're called to be holy, no longer having time for sin, recognizing that it's not our way, but it is God's way, so that he may be glorified. And he's given us all that we need for this. He's given us the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. So tonight, we need his help. We cannot kill sin alone, but we need to be following Jesus, and we need the power of his Spirit so with the knowledge that the end days are at hand and with the knowledge that the world isn't our final destination, let us go 
and embrace our calling, the suffer in this world, to be different and to be holy, and to embrace our calling here in this place to serve in the church. The master's plan is holiness. Let us therefore be holy as he is holy. Let us pray. Father, we are your bride and we are imperfect. But Father, you have clothed us in the righteousness of your Son and made us perfect. And Father, as we live here on this world, your call to us is to be holy. Father, tonight, for each of us, would we never lose the wonder, the wonder of your cross. May we see it like the first time, standing as a sinner lost. Father, we ask tonight that you would deal tenderly with us. We thank you that there is forgiveness in Jesus because tonight we need it. Father, help us. Help us to live holy lives externally in this world as we go and scatter. The people would see you in us. And Father, internally we pray and break our hearts over it that we would be holy, that we would love one another even whenever it's difficult, that we would be hospitable to one another even whenever we don't want to be. And Father, that we would not waste and sit back and be lazy with the gifts that you have given us, but rather that we would serve you. We'd serve your kingdom and that we would serve one another. Father, thank you so much for all that you've done for your goodness towards us. We thank you that you are holy. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen.